and welcome to From the Root Podcast. This is episode two, part two. If you missed the first part of this episode, we discuss coming out stories, sexual orientation involving genders, how we define queer, and the phrase trans attracted. In this second part, we discuss sexuality beyond gender, including kink and sexuality changing with social norms and the importance of sexual fluidity. We hope you enjoy. So we've talked about sexuality within gender, like sexual orientation, which is centered around gender. But what about sexuality beyond gender? I'm somebody who identifies as a demisexual. So a demisexual is somebody that is only attracted to people based on an emotional connection and also as sapiosexual, which means you're attracted to people intellectually. For most of my life, whoever I have dated, I'm not the person to like see somebody and be like, oh, damn, I want to I want to sleep with them. I need to know you first. I need to have a conversation with you. I need to formulate some kind of connection with you. And, you know, an emotional connection that can be formed like in the span of minutes. You know, it doesn't need to be like we've been dating for a while or whatever. We went on a date or whatever. But I know that like my attraction to people is very much contingent on those things because I'll meet somebody and I'm like, damn, you got a beautiful mind. And like, I love talking to you and I just want to, you know, like hear all your thoughts. And that to me, like makes me really attracted to somebody and makes me want to like engage with them sexually. Like it's, it's not just how that person looks. And for me, I know... Usually that's how the attraction starts first. It's, you know, becoming attracted based on one of these things before I ever even get to like, oh yeah, like let's, let's have sex. Let's, let's engage physically. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'll just want to start there before we segue into anything else. So what about you? How to, how has sexual fluidity shown up in your life? I guess kink in a way, like, you know, the kinks that Mm. I am interested in the kinks I've tried and realize I'm not interested in (laughs) (laughs) like it it shows up in the idea of like the the people yeah like in the sense of the things that we talk about I don't really I never really like the term sapiosexual but I guess I am attracted to people based off of like how they like what kind of conversations we can have like I like people who are interested in having like conversations about literally anything and can go in depth and we can go on a whole whirlwind and enter different realms together, having conversations about who knows what. And I find that to be attractive. I love learning things from people. I think I, the reason why I didn't really like the word sapiosexual is because I tend to associate that with education, I guess. Like if you, oh, I'm attracted hmm. to somebody who has a master's degree or something. Because people do, there are people who are only attracted to people or like try to attract people who have a certain number of degrees or something like that. And like, that has never been a Mm. thing for me. I don't really care about things like that. I think you can be smart in like all kinds of ways because I learned that from my best friend. My friend is absolutely brilliant. She's a great writer. She is a beautiful, thoughtful thinker, but my God, does she not know math? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like she still can't figure out the formula for how to tip people. And that's fine because like, you know, <laughs> you have your strengths and you have your weaknesses. She's got other exactly. strengths. Yeah. She has amazing strengths. I always thought I was a dumb friend in comparison to her. And then eventually I realized like we just have different strengths. So like I think it's really attractive when somebody can like bring me into their world and teach me something um, I don't mm-hmm. I didn't know about that I find interesting. Uh, and that to me is very sexy. And also, I mean, I'm also very attracted to passion. If you're passionate about what you're into, yes. that is a lot for me. So, like, especially because, mm-hmm. like, you have confidence in it. Like, you can talk about it. You think about it in all these different ways. I like thoughtful people. I guess and those are ways in which, like, sexuality has shown up for me beyond gender, outside of kinks and fetishes as well. For sure. Yeah, seeing people light up when they talk about something or when they're doing something that they're like, wow, I'm really good at this and passionate about. I'm like, Ooh, that's sexy. Yeah. Like I I love that. Like that, 
But it's funny because it only works when I'm interested in what you are saying. Like my ex-boyfriend used to talk to me about <laughs> architecture and I was just like, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. But, <laughs> but you know, I wonder if it was somebody else saying the exact same thing. You know what? You might you be know. right. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Like maybe it was somebody else like, right. Cause he didn't have a chance. Yeah, he really did. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe I would find it sexier than. But yeah, like being passionate <laughs> about the things that you're into, especially if they like they're like somewhat aligned with what I like, that helps too. Like you I mean it doesn't necessarily need to be the same thing, but like let's say like you're really interested in climate change and you care about environmental issues, mm-hmm. like that part that does intrigue me, even though I'm not that familiar with it, but it aligns with a lot of my beliefs. So like that would be something that I find attractive. If you talk to me about stocks. Probably not that attractive. <laughs> so I, like, I think it also depends on that as well, but who knows? For sure. I like that you brought up kink and fetish. And the one of the things I like about these is that both kink and fetish can be like not non-sexual because some people engage in kink and fetish just because they're like I enjoy this you know like it's not necessarily sexual but they get some benefit out of it I definitely think my kinks (laughs) are more like sexual in in relation I took the BDSM quiz recently and I've taken it a couple times over the last like few years And it's interesting to take it and then retake it over time to see if things change. When I took it again, I ended up getting brat, which I last time I got that, I was like 100% brat. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) And a little story about that. I remember in my my first queer relationship, I was like, you know, I want to be, I told my partner, I was like, I want to be dominated. I want to do da 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 da. Like, you know, let's, let's, you know, test it out. So, you know, we're trying it out and like the first clap back, and I guess I should say for, for people that don't know what a brat is, a brat is, is a submissive, but it's a submissive who likes to be bratty, who likes to talk back. Some people like to say that brats are not true submissives because, the, you know, that it's not for the, the weak willed, it's not for the faint of mm-hmm. heart. Like if you get thrown off easily, a brat is probably not for you. Cause they're gonna, you know, they're gonna put you through it a little bit. So I was like, you know, with this is my first queer relationship. I tell my partner, I wanna try this out. And I'm like, you know, so we're just getting started. And they stop and they're like, oh, you're a brat. And they just like, and I laugh, but they just had this like look on their face that was like disgusted. And I didn't know what a brat was back then. Like, so after that, nothing ever really happened that like it didn't feel good the way that they reacted to me. I remember like looking it up later and seeing how there are a lot of dominants who are like, brats aren't real submissives, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you just need a, a, a dominant who <laughs> like can handle that. And so when I retook the quiz, I actually got brat and brat tamer. Both that were like, I think brat tamer was like the highest. And so that was kind of like threw me through a loop. Dominance is something that I feel like I've been coming into more and learning to play with. I've definitely like always identified as a switch. So I thought it was interesting that I ended up getting Brat Tamer. And that's still something I'm like unpacking more and more and seeing it more and more in myself. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm. For kinks, please, God, don't don't let my mom hear this ever. Um, (laughs) This this is going through my mind right now. (laughs) She probably will. (laughs) <laughs> she I mean my mom has a hard time with the internet so hopefully she'll literally never hear this she'll never um, <laughs> I, I hope not I'm just gonna lie to her I mean she knows I have a podcast but I'll just call it something else like I I think I, I got a hundred percent switch like I remember like I had some really high things on there I think the most the thing that surprised me the most was being a 98 percent non-monogamous rigor because I'm, I've never experienced, I've never done any role play. So that was interesting. It's something I I would 100% try, but I've never tried that. So I thought that was interesting. 
what else did it have on there? I'm, I've never gotten any brats or anything like that. Like I'm, I have like every, every, like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like every opposite were very close. So like I was higher in bunny rigor, but or rigor, rope rigor, but not that far from rope bunny. And the same thing with dominant mm. and submissive. Submissive was like just slightly higher than dominant, but not by far, which is interesting because I am usually the most, um, the more dominant person in like my sexual experiences. I'm always down to change it. Like I'm not, I think I tend to play whatever role is lacking. So like if I have a partner mm. who is way more of a bottom or a power bottom, like you know, that's great. Like, and I will be the more dominant person, but if I'm with somebody who likes to be more dominant, then I'll be more submissive. So it really just depends, um, on the partner, but I like equal amounts of both for me, at least, Mm -hmm. at least for now. That's what I remember getting. I don't really remember too much after that. I just remember vanilla was like really low on that list. It was like 15%. (laughs) I was like, wow. Very, very low. Um, but I don't know if I, I've, I know I've taken the BDSOnTest.org quiz before, but I have not taken it. But I don't remember what my initial results were because they were probably like from like 2016. But taking it now, recently, it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things, like things that I, I mean, I'm always willing to try out a lot of different things. There's not, there are things that I do have hard nose on, but a majority of things I am pretty open to. But the whole non-monogamous thing was probably the biggest surprise to me out of everything on there just because, I mean, I've tried non-monogamy before, but I haven't had mm-hmm. great experiences with it, which is why I'm just kind of like, mm, I'd rather have something a little bit more stable because as I love non-monogamy, I think polyamory, non-monogamy, all of it is great, but there is less stability within it. Yes. for sure and i'm not really in a position in which i'm trying to test those waters (laughs) for sure yeah i think anytime you introduced more people into the equation it's going to make things less stable because that's more variables yeah exactly like i love the communication like i don't mind talking about feelings with partners for long periods of time that part's great I just don't like the whole idea of like anything can throw you for a loop at any time because like you have no control over other people and I'm okay with that but I'm not interested in having to deal with that with multiple people at the same time yeah you get in you get in a doctorate so yeah I don't need any doctorate and a master's so you You already stressed, basically. Yeah, I don't need stress. I need somebody who's going to bring ease and sweetness into my life. So, and stability. Yeah. And stability. All three. Ease, sweetness, and stability. Do you have any fetishes? Um, I mean... I don't really think so. I remember I Googled the term fetish one time and it said, like, you need that to get off. Oh. And so, for me hearing that as the definition, I was like, okay, so I have kinks, but I don't really feel like there's anything like I need to have present every single time or like, you know, need to have a lot of, um, I definitely enjoy impact play a lot. Uh, but it's like, I don't need, like, I'm, I'm still going to get off (laughs) another way. Um, but I like that is, um, spanking, flogging, Uh um, any of paddling, any of that. Um, yeah. Giving or receiving. I, uh, yeah, I love, I love it. Um, but yeah, so I, and I don't know if that definition for fetish is correct, but that I remember I was like trying to determine if I felt like I had any fetishes. And when I read that definition, I was like, Oh, well, I, if that's the definition, then I don't think there's anything that I need to have to get off. Yeah. What what about you either? No, I don't have any fetishes. I'm pretty flexible with a lot of things. So no, like I I think that is the definition. Like you need, like, um, I don't know if it's always that it's a necessity, but it's a very strong part of your sexuality or something like that. Like people who have like sneaker fetishes, like sneakers are a a huge part of their sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. But no, I don't personally have any 
fetishes not that i'm aware of who knows maybe one day it'll pop up yeah but not today what about the idea so one of the things that i found really interesting with sexual fluidity is the idea of it changing with social norms like sexuality tends to change with social norms like Mm -hmm. when we think about sexuality back in the day i'm trying to think of like times like i feel like in the 90s like people were very much attracted to skinny 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 women right like even watching girlfriends again yeah like those four characters joan tony maya and lynn they were really skinny like they were skinny enough to wear like those low riders they were and let me tell you those low riders were not forgiving for me so like i it's interesting to see like what our (laughs) idea of beauty was back then and it was being very skinny i remember that was a time where like if you said to a white girl that she had a big butt should be offended versus like now it's like everybody's mm-hmm. goal at the gym. <laughs> so like, and seeing like men change with that, actually, I don't really know too much. About, like I don't, like I was in the nineties, I was a child. I don't really remember too much about it, but I do know that men were very much attracted to skinnier women versus now, like a lot of men are attracted to thicker women, which came with like Kim Kardashian, I guess her, like she changed things up for, men who love white women i guess and <laughs> it's interesting to see them change with that and like like thicker women now or want girls with big butts and big breasts even though that wasn't always like the beauty standard or like mm-hmm. there was yeah like a lot of like even looking at <laughs> it's terrible looking at like those real housewives of california like the beverly hills and i don't know what else orange county i don't know <laughs> like when you look at those women like they're older, so they were in that time period in which like their beauty was valued for this way. Like a lot of them are like sticks with these like large breasts, yeah. like no ass at all, <laughs> but these huge breasts, just long back and big breasts. And now we're at a point where <laughs> <laughs> long yeah. back. So now yeah. we're at a point where like everybody got back. Like everybody got back. Whether they inserted it, mm-hmm. they like, you know, they added a pad to it squatted it it. you just (laughs) blessed with it like everybody has that so it's interesting to see how sexuality has changed and i'm curious because i think it's interesting because i don't think that we'd recognize like how much society um dictates our sexuality and our preferences within them Mm -hmm. yeah i think I definitely recall that. And I like, honestly, one of the first people that popped in my mind was Rachel True. I can't remember what the name of the TV show was. She's also on my mind because I just saw that they're remaking The Craft, which I'm super excited about. And they have a dark skinned woman in there. So I'm excited to that. Okay. Rachel True um, is a black girl from The Craft. The Craft. Yeah, she was in The Craft, but she was also in some TV show. And I remember because, like, I feel like her weight was, like, kind of central and talked about a lot because she's a, she's a thicker person, naturally. Like, she's not stick skinny. She never has been. Um, and I know that was a part of, like, the dialogue of, like, trying to be skinnier in the show. And it's like, that's, but that's just not how her body was. And her weight fluctuated a lot during that the during the period of the show that was she that was half in. and I'm half not remembering what the name of that show was yes with the sister yeah. i think yeah but i remember like looking at her and seeing people like her and feeling like oh, okay well i see my body in her but i don't but yeah like back then um and even in the early 2000s that was very much so like the look then, of course, like over the 2000s, you know, these white women like Kim Kardashian, who, you know, swagger jacked black women <laughs> and were like, let me let me put on blackface. And then all of a sudden, like now you like it. But that that's, you know, literally how it happened. And I mean, that's, of course, with anything black people do, like taking it, taking like the door knocker earrings or taking any type of fashion that what that black people had, black people created, and then putting it on white people, putting it on runways, 
And then all of a sudden, like that's attractive, that's coveted. Yeah. So I, I think it is like, I think what's important about that is being able to like understanding that that's again, coming back to you might think that you're not impacted or that you're unbiased. But if you're consuming media, you're cons- you're consuming that like, just like with any food you eat, the food you put in a body makes any dif- your difference. The TV shows you watch, the music you listen to, and whatever is constantly repeating, like that's the messages you're constantly getting. And you have to be aware. You have to be diligent and ongoing with your work to critique that, to unpack that. And I think to also be really like intentional and aware of like. Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are you surrounding yourself with? Because, you know, even Rachel True, she's she's still generally a thin-bodied person. Like she still fits into like like sizes that they would sell in a lot of places, more so now. And thinking about like how often are we seeing fat people in the media? How often are we seeing fat people having sex in the media? How often are we seeing older people? Like I watched a show on Netflix and I really, really loved it because they had this older woman who I think was maybe like 50s with gray hair and it was also gay sex scene. (laughs) So that like shout out to that. And, you know, it was just a beautiful sex scene. And I was like, this is important. Like seeing people who reflect a lot of different looks having sex because, you know, that thin like skinny, no booty having, like that wasn't reflective of the majority of society. And even today with the booties, like, like not everybody has a booty feeling that pressure to like still conform to this very, cause again, it's not just booty. It's like, you got to have the tiny waist and the boobs and everything. Mm -hmm. And they want hair, lots of hair, you know, now it can be curly but there's still like texturism so it can only look a certain type of way you gotta have the hair so there's still like this specific look for like this is the sexual preference that has I don't even know if I want to say expanded (laughs) I guess it's it's, yeah I guess it has expanded some but it's still not inclusive we're not there yet (laughs) it's not reflective and no. It's problematic because I think it also creates um, shame in people when they're like, oh, well, I'm really attracted to this person, but they don't look like the ideal vision of beauty. And so is there something wrong with me or feeling shame about like sharing what a, who, whatever it is, whoever it is you're attracted to? Um, and that's not even getting into kinks, like the shame surrounding <laughs> kink and fetish and not yeah. being able to. Um, feel like you have the space to share that. I agree. It's just weird to see how much things change just based off of like what we see on social media, because there was a time, I mean, just even with acceptance as a whole, gay people weren't accepted in the media in the nineties. It was in the two thousands that it became a lot more accepting because we had more representation on TV more gay characters on TV, like Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting these timelines wrong, but Will and Grace was like pretty much <laughs> that, a was big part of it. Oh, that was 2000. I think that was in the that wasn't the it was in the 90s. It was 2000. Yeah, I don't think it was 90s. But there's the like incredibly true okay. story of two girls in love. I'm pretty sure that was a 90s movie with the the yeah. the lesbian couple. Yeah, having more representation, especially on TV, makes a huge difference because those are things that people are regularly watching. And when they get to see different types of people on there is when they recognize, oh, maybe this does stimulate me. And I just didn't, I wasn't even aware of it because it was something that I had never seen before. It wasn't normalized or I wasn't, it wasn't accepting for me to like this because now that trans people are getting more of a spotlight, I'm sure they're, they're, I, I mean, the trans community never really had any issues with finding people in general but more people are a little bit not a lot but there are more people who are more open about dating trans people than there was in the past and part of that is the normalization we have shows like pose Mm -hmm. and a sex scene in pose with india morris character angel the guy, I don't remember his name because I never liked his character. Um, mm-hmm. The white guy? No, 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 not the white guy. Oh, okay. Her, I she had a, a Hispanic boyfriend. Okay. 
cannot remember his name. I want to say it's Ricky, but I could be totally wrong. But when they had their sex scene, that was the first sex scene I've ever seen with a trans person. And then even most recently, I saw another scene on P-Valley. And it, that was the mm. first time I've ever seen like a dark-skinned trans person having a sex scene. And those things need to be normalized. Every time we, we don't see these things, it's like we're not sec- accepting that it happens. But seeing people who are sexual, whether they're older or younger, opens people's minds up to the idea that, oh, okay, this is acceptable. This is sexy. You know, this is a possibility. And we need to be more open-minded about that. And I think that's very, very important when it comes to sexual fluidity and understanding. Because, for instance, I never thought I would be, I've never really thought of me being attracted to trans women. I just, it never really occurred to me that I would be attracted to trans women. I never really had any experiences with being attracted to trans women. But the more trans women that I allow into my social media feeds and things like that, the more I also find them attractive because they're there and it, it expands things for me. Mm-hmm. I remember there was this girl, oh, this woman was so fine. There was this woman <laughs> who went to my gym. She was Latina. So she was like so thick and just beautiful, beautiful woman. I just would always love watching her workout because one, she was always really into her workouts. Like she was very passionate about it. And sometimes she was so, so thick. Again with the passion. And like, Yes, the passion and thickness was fine. And then um, my friend ended up following her Instagram and it turns out she was trans. And I was like, oh shit, like I had no idea that that was an option for me. Like I just never really thought about it. But obviously there are trans women who are perceived as cis and there are some who are not. There are a lot more who aren't, but there are ones who are perceived as cis. And it's interesting to see like, oh, okay, well, this is an option I am attracted to this person. I mean, it didn't change anything for me at all. I was just like, this woman is still thick and she's still fine. And every time she comes to the gym, I will have some eye candy to look at. She was fine as hell. But that's important. Like, the more we have the option of seeing people mm-hmm. that are considered taboo, the more more people are will be willing to be open to it. Like, even, like, liking thicker women liking fat women i feel like that's more mm-hmm. common now than it has ever been before people were very low-key about liking thicker fat women more people are more open to it and honestly i don't know why people wouldn't be i think it's very sexy when especially i love i like i don't know why i have this weird thing i love seeing big men like big muscular men being attracted to thick fat women I just think that's very sexy because I feel Mm. like of course they can handle it like you know they could carry them and like I don't know (laughs) something about that is very very sexy to me so it's it's just interesting to see sexuality change but I'm also very curious of like how much people realize that what they normalize or what they see on their social media is what impacts their sexuality because the more I see of these things the more I'm like oh I'm attracted to this I'm seeing a lot more men or AMAB folk who are very masculine looking wearing skirts and dresses and I'm like this is sexy like I Mm -hmm. am attracted to a man with a dangling earring like I love I love a man in a crop top and I very much love um, a muscular man with like thick thighs and a nice booty in some shorts or some rompers, like tight for the booty. I don't, I, mean, I don't care about anything that's <laughs> happening in the front. I do not care about anything that's happening in the front, but the back is where it's at. And like the booty. So we yes, know Michelle the likes booty. the booty. <laughs> I love the booty. I don't care what gender you are. Like, I don't, I really don't care the gender. Like a booty is very, very, very important. And seeing more of that, thank God, is very (laughs) attractive because I'm getting to see it more often because there are more people who are presenting themselves this way. There are a lot more people who are more comfortable in their gender expression, especially these young Gen Zers. Yeah. And yeah, the media, the media, what media you're consuming, that that's important. And I know that's something that I am ongoing work I'm doing always to be mindful of what pages I'm following. I've done a lot of cleaning up of my um, my social media feeds, just exposing myself to a variety of people, and also ensuring that I that trying to make sure that that's reflected in my real life too. 
because I feel like when you have people that are coming from a variety of different backgrounds, that's just the, the impact that's going to happen, have on you on all different levels in your life is going to be transformative. Like mm-hmm. I can, and you know, start with the social media feeds. That's how you, especially in now in pandemic days, how we can connect with new people is through social media. Um, yeah. So the other thing to discuss when it comes to gender, gen- sexuality and social norms is like the things that people are saying they do not date now. Yes. We're talking about, there's like this thing on TikTok now. Well, I don't know if it's a thing. I've just seen one group of kids do it. But there's these group of black boys and they're all standing in a line. And above it, it says black women on one side and white women on the other side. And all of a sudden this video starts and it says go. And all these black men are running towards the white women's side. And none of them are running towards the black women's side. Pretty much stating that they're not attracted to black women. They only like white women. And we hear this argument all the time of black men being like, oh, like not all black men, but obviously there's a decent amount who are not interested in black women. They only date white women or they only date light skinned people. Um, They just Mm -hmm. don't date black women. And a lot of times when they're asked, how do you like this person it's never really like i like this person because she's really smart and she's really cute it's always like well because black women are this and that right yeah that's also something that is represented by societal norms and social media because yes most of the time when you see black women especially dark-skinned black women they're not really playing these thoughtful, elegant, beautiful roles. A lot of times they're getting stereotyped into different positions. Like I love Lovecraft mm-hmm. Country. That's my show right now. But it's also kind of disappointing to see like her name is Journey Smole in real life. I don't remember what her name. Her name is Letitia in the show. And Letitia has a sister, a half uh, half sister who's also black, but she's dark skinned and she's heavier. And her name is Hope. Hope. I think her name is Hope. And it's just disappointing to see that once again, it's a narrative of like, she's the really smart dynamic one. And she's showing like, you know, that women can do anything. And she's the one that like people are more like, she's the love, the the loves, you know, the main romantic character for the main character of the show Atticus versus Hope who like gets her. She has a story too. She has her own storyline. But it's not the same. Like, it's not the same type of love story for her. Like, when it comes to darker-skinned Black Mm -hmm. women, they're not given the same roles. And that impacts, like, how we are perceived. But it's just also sad to see because it's not like it's only white men who are impacted by this. It's it's sad to see so many Black men absorb this information, neglect all the Black women that they actually know in their lives, and then just make this stereotype mm-hmm. of what black women are and then put us all in this box and then decide that we're not of value. I mean, honestly, I won't miss you if that's how you feel. But <laughs> like it's just it's just disappointing to see because that is changing the way that we all date. Like our culture has changed as far as like how we yeah. date. Like most of the time people date, a majority of people tend to date within their race. And then there are people who date outside mm-hmm. of their race. And that's totally fine. But I guess the the concern isn't necessarily people dating outside of their race. The concern is the intention behind it. Like you were saying earlier. Absolutely. Like men, men, black men who are attracted to you, some of them may be attracted to you for you, but then some of them might just be attracted to you because you're light skinned and can give them light skinned babies. Like that's, that's a, that doesn't just impact. (laughs) Yeah. And it doesn't just impact black women it impacts us all because like we're all being casted into these roles made an assumption of like if you only like light-skinned women because they're light-skinned then do you even like the light-skinned woman for who she is can you see her as a whole dynamic human being (laughs) or are you only seeing her skin color so it's just it's just disappointing to see just how much this has changed and i just hope that people start recognizing that the reason why they're feeling this way especially when they're anti somebody that they're anti them not because of their 
not because of an actual real preference, but because of what society tells them. Because Asian men go through the same thing. They are the least sexualized people on TV. Mm-hmm. Like Asian men don't really have much of a, they're not considered sexy in a lot of shows, which is disappointing because I think the first time I ever realized that, that I've seen a sexy Asian man was on um, Glee. I can't remember the name of the character, but that man was fine. And I just remember thinking like, that guy is really cute and we need to have more representation of Asian men being sexy because there are a lot of sexy ass Asian men out there, but for some reason they're not given roles to be the handsome romantic comedy lead except for john cho mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then and conversely asian women are usually hypersexualized and eroticized and cast in these submissive roles it's harmful because you know it, it creates these roles it typecasts people and then people try to say like oh well it's just my preference nah fuck that that's trash it's not just your preference it's what you've internalized so whatever, like, I feel like whoever's listening, you know, unpack that, like critique that, check in with yourself because we all, it's all of us. Everybody's problematic. I don't care who you are. Like, we all have things that we need to unpack and the work is ongoing. Again, like, if you, regardless of how much work you're doing, like we're up against a society where it's like deeply immersed in these, you know, transphobic, sexist queerphobic, you know, anti-black, anti-dark skin, like all of that is showing up in our media. And like, you know, you don't realize Mm. how much of that you consume in a day, how much of it might be existing in your house, how much of it is existing in your social media feed, how much of it is in your music. Because listen, I love my ratchet ass music, but let me tell you, like that shit is real problematic real fast. Um, especially with cis black men who but make like ratchet songs. And so, so I know you're a lot of my music, it, actually, you, I would say pretty much like, almost exclusively you, you my ratchet music people? comes from black women and femmes. And even then, you know, it's there. It's there. It's internalized. <laughs> but, you know, it's a little less. I um, think when you. It shows up a little bit differently. You've never dated a white person? Why am I saying it like that? Most people would assume I haven't, but I have. <laughs> No, <laughs> I have never. <laughs> I've never dated a white person. <laughs> no, so I went. <laughs> I went on one date with a white person when I lived in Portland, Oregon. I rear-ended him. And honestly, I was terrified because I thought he might call the police on me or something. So part of it was like reinforced by fear. I feel like my mother like instilled in me a deep like visceral fear of white men, especially my mother was a Virgo to I say my mother um, now as an adult that she was constantly in survival mode based on like her own childhood trauma and her PTSD. And so like she like drilled into me facts and statistics like I was I was a baby and she's like. This is the drill for how to escape. If somebody takes you, this is what you need to do. All of that from a very young age. And she made it very clear, like, it's going to be, it's going to be a white man. If somebody tries to snatch you, it's going to be a white man. Because, like, statistically, like, it's going to be a white man. Like, and so I definitely had that. I was also assaulted by a white man as a child. So I think that, like, plays into it. But I, you know, I was born in Oklahoma. It's a very overtly racist town, like, or city. You know, I don't know. I say town, city, and in some ways, I say I'm grateful that for that experience because it taught me what racism looks, feels, smells like at a very young age. So when I moved to like these liberal states, I was like, oh, this feels the same. You're not. It's not. Doesn't show up exactly the same, but it's the same. It's racism. Like, I'm, you know, the difference is they're saying, like, I don't like you because you're black. Like, okay, thank you. I'm glad you were very upfront about that. Now I know what it is, as opposed to somebody coming to me in my face and I'm like, you're not saying it, but I can feel it. And that's the type of thing that I feel like drives people crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, and I say crazy and like, it has you questioning itself. It's literally, it's gaslighting. 
And so I would say that's why I haven't. Um, and that's not to say that some people can't, um, but I've, I can like count on one hand the amount of white people who I've like wanted to date. Actually, no, as an adult, I don't, I don't even think that's happened, but <laughs> I was going to say as an adult, no, as a child and like dated, they weren't interested in dating me. So maybe it would have been a little bit different if that had happened. And now presently, it's just not something that I'm really interested in. I I wouldn't say completely not possible, but highly, highly unlikely. My partners have been almost exclusively Black people, whether they are, you know, Afro-Latinx, whether they are Black American, Black Caribbean, African, like disability, a lot of different shades and (laughs) ways of being Black is what I've dated and, um, you know. Yeah. I'm the same way. And I think it's interesting because we just had the conversation of like social norms and like it um, not wanting to date people due to stereotypes and prejudices that we see in social media. But when it comes to dating white people, it's 100% different. The reason why I don't date white people, I have, I had a boyfriend and he was white. My Yeah, my little boyfriend. That's not nice. I shouldn't say it like that. I had a boyfriend, <laughs> like my one boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I should just call it, I call him I call him my first boyfriend but he's literally my only boyfriend so I should just say my one boyfriend but he he's white I mean he's Russian and I think that probably changed things a bit because he I mean mm-hmm. I don't really know what it's like in Russia I have no idea if there's a lot of racism in Russia I think most people there are very very white I don't know if there are a lot of black people or people of color in Russia but um that was never really an issue in our relationship like I know that the only time where that really showed up was like uh like somebody saying something about me like he had a friend who was like oh she's the prettiest black girl i've ever seen and his grandmother called Mm. me exotic and i was like these are really interesting words to describe me (laughs) but outside of that i've never really had any experiences with Dating white people because I've just never been interested outside of that. Like I dated him and I I don't know, something in my brain was just like, that was enough. And now part of the reason why I don't date white people is because you're not just like, if I, I would love to be in a serious life partnership with someone, the idea of being in a serious life partnership with a white person sounds very burdensome just because it's not just them Mm -hmm. you're dating. Like you are going to be ingrained with their family and you're going to have children together or I would, I want to have children. Like I could potentially have children with my partner. And if they have a racist family member, I don't give a shit who that person is. My child will never see them in their life. I don't care if it's their Mm -hmm. grandparent. I don't care if it's their aunt. It's simply not happening. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns. I also just don't feel like I'm already very awkward and very, very introverted. So the idea of having to sit in a room with like a potential like racist sounds very exhausting. And like, there's no way, especially if you're white and American. I mean, I think if you're white anywhere, but especially if you're white and American, it's almost impossible for you to not have a racist family member. I'm not going to be put in a position Mm -hmm. where my humanity is questioned in my on my dining room table that just won't happen so (laughs) i'm not feeding food to anyone who doesn't like me yeah (laughs) i'm not feeding anybody who's a trump supporter in my home like that's just not going to happen Mm -hmm. and for that reason is part of the reason why i won't date white people also like what the potential of gaslighting what if you have a partner who's just like, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Or what if you get in a really bad argument and then all of a sudden things that you never expected to come from their mouth just starts popping off. And then you got to like question, like, am I trying to go to jail right now? Do I want to kill this person? Will I go to prison? I'm not trying to fight those. I don't want to have those kind of questions in my mind. So I would just rather not date a white person because it's preservation for me. I just, I don't, I'm not interested in, having to explain things to share my experience with a white person, especially because there really is not really much of an exchange as mm-hmm. well. Like white Americans don't really have a culture here. They just have everyone else's cultures. They don't. So it's not like there's like an exchange of culture. <laughs> like I'm like learning something new about you and you're learning something new about me. I really don't care about your mom's casserole. Um, 
It's like those things. <laughs> the tuna yeah, casserole. Like, I don't, I'm not interested yeah. in any of that. I don't want to try your mac and cheese. Like there's just a lot of <laughs> things that like, there's not enough exchange. Emotional yeah, labor. And there's too much emotional labor that I'm just really not willing to put out for a white person or their family members. So I just don't see that happening. I can't even imagine what kind of white person it would take to like show up at my door that I'd be like, yes, I just can't see it happening. If it Mm -hmm. happens, we'll we'll all be surprised. But (laughs) (laughs) at this moment, I just don't see that being a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the Mm. difference between people having a preference for people of or not having a preference for a person of color, like choosing not to date a person of color usually has to do with stereotypes. It's due to some type of racism, whether it's internalized or anti. When it comes to dating white people, they literally are in a position of power. So because of that, Mm -hmm. there's a lot in which that they can inflict on us whether they're aware of it or not because a lot of white people could cause a lot of harm that they're just simply not even aware that they're doing and like that is not something that I want to impact me so the difference is is like okay these people could be stereotyping and prejudice versus like some people not dating white people is usually self-preservation and self-care so yes yeah, that so that that is there and you know, I mean, I don't think white people will miss me. Like, it's not like they're going to be like, wow, Michelle, why not? <laughs> Nine, not me. Like, they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll find someone else. There's tons of black <laughs> people who love to date white people. So. Yes, that is unfortunately true. <sighs> All right. So our final segment of the day is Shine Theory. Michelle, do you have somebody to shine a little light on today? Yes. No Sorry. worries. Um, so first I would like to shout out Ann Friedman and Amanatu So from Call Your Girlfriends because they're the ones who came up with the term shine theory, which is about like shining light to um, people that are doing great things for collaborative work a lot of times, like just showing off like, this person's amazing and hopefully working together and things like that. So for me, I would like to shout out Insight Timer. It's a meditation app. It's amazing. There's like so many, there's thousands and thousands of free meditations on the app, which is why I like it because I liked Calm, but Calm doesn't offer as many meditations. And the other thing I really enjoy about Insight Timer is that they have a lot of people of color on there. There are a lot of people of color instructors that lead breathing, breath work, meditations, um, sleep, anxiety, like all kinds of things, give talks. And that's the reason why I like it. Two of my favorite instructors on Insight Timer are Dora Kamau and Muji. So Dora Kamau, she does a lot of guided meditations and breath work. And it's just very thoughtful. She'll ask really great questions, come up with like really creative and beautiful affirmations that I really appreciate. Plus on top of it, the production, like the music behind it is very, very soothing. So I've never listened to her and didn't feel like I was nourished from it. Like she's an amazing instructor and I always feel very, very nourished from listening to her meditations. And then there's Muji. And Muji is this very, very cute, older man i think he's of he's of jamaican descent and he he leads these meditations or and like has these talks that mostly center silence and just focusing on um people being and i think that's amazing especially if you're trying to focus like trying to focus through the silence of his meditations are really amazing for if you're trying to like have intention of focus throughout your day. So I suggest those two instructors on Insight Timer, but there are thousands of them and they're all amazing. And you can give feedback on there and share with the instructors how you feel. And some of them actually reach back out to you. One of the reasons why I also love Dora is that she always does reach back out if I like give her a compliment or something like that, which feels like, you know, you're seen. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Nice. I like that. I'll have to check that out. I was using something else. Um, another one that was like a made by uh, Liberate. Um, but I'm yes, Liberate. But I will have to check out. Yeah, Insight I love Timer. Liberate too. I just think the difference between Liberate and Insight Timer is that Liberate is usually focused on very, very specific people of color issues that you're going you're working through things mm-hmm. versus it's high timer they're still general but it's just people of color doing it and sometimes like especially as people of color you get tired mm. it's, we live in a predominantly white country yeah. like you get tired of hearing white people all the time like sometimes you just feel like you can resonate more when a black person tells you the same information and like so like yes. it's just nice to be able to hear yes. a meditation that's ran by a black woman it's like ah okay here's something familiar to me I also want to list out just another resource that we didn't get to talk on this episode about. So one of the resources that we will share with you is that BDSM test that we discussed on the podcast. Another one is called the yes, no, or maybe list from that other paper.com. It's a, a great way of getting to know somebody that you might want to be sexually intimate with and you get to share with them like a bunch of kinks and see like what they like, what you what they don't like, what are their yeses, what are their no's, what are their maybes. And I think that is very important, especially having conversations ahead of time because you don't want to surprise somebody with a kink that they may not be into. So it's a good way of like having that discussion and seeing what they're they're interested in without... <laughs> having to also bring up your own you could just compare and contrast things on there which i also like and something else i was going to say about that and i think it also makes you more aware of what kinks are because there are a lot of things that people are interested in but may not identify it as a kink because they think that kinks are these super freaky things but this is a great way of normalizing what kink actually is so I think that's a great resource. So that's on here as well. That will be on in the description box. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, no problem. That was an All episode. Right. Episode um, two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our listeners who have made it to episode two and rocking with us as we talk about sexual fluidity. We will catch you next time on From the Root Podcast.